as I said, my name's Sam. Um, I'm a part of our preaching team here at um, Sutton Vineyard. It's been a, a little while, actually, since I've, um, I've been here at the front preaching. Um, and actually, there's been something on my mind um, since the very first Sunday that we came back from, from Christmas. So I don't know if anyone remembers, but um, Pete, a member of our um, preaching team, delivered the sermon that day, and it was extremely memorable for one particular reason. Can anyone remember what that sermon was, what was particularly memorable about it? The world's toughest race, exactly. The Bear Grylls advert for the Amazon show. So I'm glad to hear that the message sticks with people. But after that sermon, Pete delivered this brilliant sermon about doing life and about the, the, the world's toughest race, and about how we can talk about that race, which is our kind of Christian lives. And afterwards, I really felt on my heart that there was a message that I had, which was this isn't a solo race. This isn't a race that we run on our own, that actually it's a race that we, won, that we run with people. It's not a race that you can win in, in the sense of crossing the line first. In fact, in the analogy of crossing the line first, <laughs> not necessarily where you want to be. <laughs> And I went to Pete afterwards and I said, oh, brilliant, brilliant sermon. Like, I really had this on my heart. And he was just like, oh, do you know what? I wanted to talk about that, but I didn't have kind of enough space. So we, so we had a beer and I kind of decided that that was what my next sermon was going to be on. And actually, it's one of those that as I reflected, it seemed to be more than just a nice idea. It was one of those moments in life and it's normally delivered by your spouse or a friend in church when someone's preaching and someone's looking down the end of the road going, ah, 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 that's, that's for you, that is. And that's, that's what the Holy Spirit did for me. Because I came away thinking I'm not alone in this. And actually, that was something that I really needed because January and February for me turned into pretty tough months. My physical health was, was really bad. I got ill after ill, like lots of different things. If you're in flourish with my mum, you probably know more about it than you should. Um, and there are other things that mean that I had a really tough time. And often... When your physical health suffers, your mental health suffers. And I went through, it, it plummeted, I went through a really dark time. And it's something that I've been through in my life before. And I know it's something that I'm going to experience again. And this time it just felt really different because I really did feel like I had a group of people around me that I was doing it with that were helping and they were supporting me. And in the past, when I've kind of gone through this period um, I withdraw. Um, I withdraw from others. My, my response is often, can everyone go and leave me alone while I go and sort this out? I'll be back when this is resolved, which is obviously not good. And, and I often do that with God, and I've, and I've very much done it with the church before, and that just then spirals. So my relationship with the Lord suffers. I don't have my quiet times. I don't have my prayer times. And, and church becomes a place that I struggle to, to walk in and, and see people. And actually, this time I had a group of people around me that were messaging me, praying with me, encouraging me. And actually, my relationship with the Lord grew from that. And, and I'm able to look back on that and go, that was a tough period. But I actually celebrate the fact that I, I went through that with the people that I did and that I'm going to go through it again. Um, and that my relationship with the Lord grew. And so this morning, the sermon um, that I'm going to be sharing on is, is titled, Doing Life Together, The Importance of Fellowship.
meaningful friendship with something at its core. We, t- we could talk about different types of fellowship, but obviously this morning we're talking about Christian fellowship, and that is God being at the core of that relationship and being something that you can do together and you can build on together. And it's something that I think that all of us, new Christians, old Christians alike, need to, it's good to reflect on and remember as we, as we go forward. But before that, how about, how about I pray? Lord, we gather here this morning together because we want to know you more and we praise your name. And we give thanks that we are able to freely meet to worship you. Lord, you're here with us, and I just ask you to minister to each of us and let us know and sense your love more, Lord. Awesome. Okay, well, when I was uh, writing this sermon, I thought, before I really jump into it, I wanted to to touch on a little bit of grace, a little bit of the grace that we talk about, God's grace, his love for us. And as luck should have it, for everyone that was here last Sunday, we had an amazing sermon that was on exactly that. And Lorraine was talking about God's grace and the fact that it is through his love that we are saved. It's through, obviously, as we, we, we approach the Easter period, through, through Christ's sacrifice, his death, his death, his resurrection, just the unconditional love that God has for us, that we are saved and we can have a relationship with him. And the reason I wanted to touch on that is that when I'm talking about fellowship this morning, there's probably going to be a few things that I'm talking about me and I'm talking about you and I'm talking about us and I'm talking about actions. And I'm talking about earthly relationships that we have with each other. And I just wanted to make sure that we kind of centered that into what the meaning of that was for. And this isn't something that, salvation isn't something that we can earn. It's not something that we could ever earn or something that we need to. And so it's not about our own actions, but we are saved. But it's then what do we do from then? So we get given the gospel message. And then is that just enough for us to go through life with? And I thought to myself, I'm going to do an experiment. And I have a very basic mind. So as you can imagine, my experiment was very basic. And I picked up my Bible and I said, okay, so I've got the Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament, which which talks about Christ and it talks about everything we're going to think about as we approach Easter. And I had a look and there's 101 pages in this Bible dedicated to the Gospel. So I said, okay, well, how much is left in the the, the New Testament? And the New Testament as a whole is 235 pages. So in the basic subtraction, I thought, okay, well, there's actually 134 pages after the gospel message that we get to take forward. And I loved the fact that it probably could have ended at the end of the gospel as Jesus is through his resurrection and he ascends to be with the Father and we're left with the message of, go get him. (laughs) And instead, we get to read about the earliest Christians, as they took that gospel message forward and they did life with each other and what they did from there. And we get to read about their successes and their failures, sometimes more the latter. <laughs> but one thing is clear as we read the New Testament and it's and is obvious as we start to hear about the birth of the church. And that is that people are doing life together. In Acts 2.42, we read about the fellowship of the believers. And it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. So when we talk this morning about doing life together, for a lot of people that might be a little bit obvious. Maybe you've been around for some time. For, for, For some people, maybe that's an abstract thought. Are you 
in fellowship? Are you doing life together? And so I came up with some questions that I kind of thought, I'm going to use these to self-reflect myself. Where am I? And what am I, kind of where am I positioned in this? Some diagnosis questions, maybe. So I just invite people to reflect on these. So who are you doing life with? Is that a different question to who you are doing Christian life with? Does anyone else in this room know where you are with God? Does anyone know what you are struggling with? Does anyone know what you are praying for? Does anyone know what you are giving thanks for? And then this was the one that kind of got me. Do you know any of these about someone else in this room? So there's three points I wanted to touch on uh, when we're talking about fellowship and, and, and the importance of it. And the first one is that God created us to form relationships. God created us to form relationships. Innately, God created us to be social beings. When we read in Genesis, we, Paul, a good few weeks ago, was talking about Genesis and we, we, we hear about the creation of the earth and, and, and God bringing things into life. And everything that he created was good. It is good. Except when you get to the creation of man, of humans. And in Genesis 2 verse 18, it's just the first part of Genesis 2 18, it said, it is not good that man should be alone. In the very beginning, we set the foundations for the fact that we were made to have relationships, made to have relationships with God. And then through just the very blueprint of how humans are made, and we think about children being brought into the world and the fact that they're wholly and entirely dependent on their parents until at least the age of 35. <laughs> Which is my age next year, so one more year. And in my preparation today, more than that, I realized that we have mirror neurons. And it allows us as humans to feel the emotions that other people have. Our actual, our brains mirror people as they're telling stories to us. It's what, it, we leak emotions. It what, it's what leads us to being able to show empathy and sympathy. For me, if I've got a friend who comes to me and is really upset and we've got a really good relationship and they're crying, I might actually shed a tear. For Sarah, if she watches a wedding of someone that she doesn't know and maybe doesn't even exist, she'll feel those emotions. Some of us are built to feel that more strongly than others, but it's there in, this, in these mirror neurons. It's why you yawn when other people yawn. You look at God's blueprint and you see that we are made for connections. And we were in intentionally made to be sociable. Now, as part of that, I've had very good conversations with my wife. As I said, we are, we are built different. <laughs> and I need to address, probably need to address, the, uh, the inevitable introverted elephant in the room. So there's probably a few people there thinking, that's all well and good for you, but I'm very introverted. 
and things are a little bit different for me. And yes, of course, we have extroverts, we have introverts. That is around where we get our energy from. Are you someone that gets energy from, from socializing with people, maybe bigger groups? Or are you someone where that actually may drain you and, and, and take energy? The point here isn't around how we build relationships and what looks natural to us. The point is, is that we are built for relationships. The sermon isn't about Christians having to be social people that, that, that go out and throw parties and love to be there. But it is about forming deep and meaningful relationships with the people that we're doing life with, whichever way that looks for you. Number two, it's biblical. I was reading through my Bible and there are so many verses and, and, and areas of the Bible that I could point to with regards to, to being social, doing life together, discipleship, fellowship, that I couldn't limit it. I, I, it was hard to actually limit to a few things. The language of the New Testament is we, us, our brothers and sisters. It's reflected in the worship, the group worship that we do with each other. And whether or not it's Moses being told to, to, to go with Aaron or whether or not it's the way that Jesus completely modelled a, a way of living that built relationships and had meaningful relationships with people. Or even in Luke as we hear about people being commissioned in twos, not as single people. I mean, just, just on that, and there probably was a, a local reason why two was better than one with regards to being able to, to talk about and, and witness to people. But for me, Jesus knew and it's written throughout the Bible that, that people on their own are going to struggle and actually doing things together. And we see that in the New Testament, as, as people are taking the word of Christ to people, it's you go as twos, you go as groups to help and support and love each other. And I love the fact that the very human nature of, of Christ that people think about when they're really talking about how human that he was is the fact that in John we read that Jesus wept when his friend passed away. Forming meaningful relationships with each other. And in Acts 2 we read about the birth of the church. So in verses 42 to 47. I think the, uh, the words will come up behind me. Although I, we have had some technical difficulties. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, Therefore encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So when Pete was talking about running that race, we, we, we sat down and had a beer afterwards because obviously good, meaningful Christian conversations are over a beer <laughs> or a coffee. We sat down and we spoke about the importance of doing that together and the analogy of riders, you, of how difficult it is to be a solo rider that goes off on their own. 
I don't watch it, but when I know that in the Tour de France, you obviously have like the peloton where people are drafting each other along and encouraging people along. And then you might have someone that splits off and they might be able to do part of the race like that, a sprint to the finish, but they're never going to be able to do the whole race like that because they're encouraging people along. And it's, and it's, and it's as a group that they find that there's the strength. And if someone is really struggling, they might go to the back of the peloton and be drafted along. And life is very much like that. In fact, we read in Acts that the birth of the church was built on fellowship and encouraging people and bringing each other along. So in fact, it probably isn't too accurate to talk about the title of my sermon being Doing Life Together, The Importance of Fellowship, but maybe more Doing Life Together, The Expectation of Fellowship. The expectation that was set out in the fact that this was the blueprint in which the whole church was birthed. And I love the fact that when you read that, it made it possible through the power of the Holy Spirit and fellowship of those first believers that their numbers grew from probably just over 100, maybe a couple of hundred in a small room to tens of thousands to billions of people that we now have throughout history in the church. And then there's always that part of me that goes, yeah, that might have been good for them and for 2,000 years that might have worked, but I might have found a better solution here. I'm going to go on my own. And there's probably just a couple of things that I really want to just touch on there. The sense of being cut off, the sense of being alone. That is from other people. And through that, you can have a sense of being cut off from, from, from God. In, in the prayer group this morning, we were hearing about uh, someone had a, a, a um, kind of thought on the prodigal son. And so the real emphasis there is, is that there isn't a barrier that's created by God between us and him. That will be something that we struggle with. So, so one of the messages today is please don't think that I'm saying that go away and do fellowship together, otherwise God might not be there. God's always there. There is a celebration when people return to him. But the problem is, is how do we ensure that we're always there? And again, there is a personal relationship with God that you will have on your own quiet times and prayer times. That is an expectation. People talk about going out for a walk. I can't think of anything better sometimes than going out for a walk on my own and get into nature. And there's few places that I experience God more than those times. They are needed. But this is talking about the long-term relationship that you have with God. And there's a few things that I just wanted to reflect on on that. It's all well and good having those quiet times on your own, but if that's all that you're having, what happens when you get to the part of the Bible, you read something and you really don't understand it? What happens when you might hear something for God and you really don't agree with it or really struggle with it? Who do you talk to? Who do you, who do you say, I'm really wrestling with this? What about when you hear something that's for somebody else? And so there is this expectation that we do this life together and there is wonderful benefits from doing that and seeing, oh, seeing things happen in the Holy Spirit and power and just coming forth. It is absolutely amazing. Point number three, it's practical. It's sadly practical that in this life there are going to be times where we really need other people. We really need other people. They talk about, don't they, a problem, a problem shared is a problem halved. 
And I was reading something in the, in the big issue that, that, that spoke about the absolute need in life to have support networks and how things like homelessness and things like poverty can often come from having such a small or lack of support network. When people have things that they're struggling with, they don't have somebody to go to. When they've got difficulties, they don't have someone to kind of wrestle with those ideas and come up with a solution. And it's funny that we often maybe don't think about the need for that within our Christian lives and having that support network. And I opened my Bible and I was reading and then a verse came out very well known to me. Um, but actually I read it in a very different way this time around. And it's Matthew 22, 37, 39. And the background is someone's gone to Jesus and gone, what's basically, what's the most important thing for me to know? What's, what's the most important thing for me to do? And Jesus turns around and he says, this is, this is the greatest commandment. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And then it goes on to say, and a second is like it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And I've always read that and thought, yeah, that makes, that makes complete sense to me. And actually a part of it in my mind as I was reading it kind of, I, th I think, really dawned on me for the first time. You've got two commandments in here. The first and the obvious one is love God with all your heart and all your mind. And then I'm thinking, surely if I just do that, it's fine. That's what this is about, isn't it? Me having a relationship with God. And then there's that second bit. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's something more that's being commanded of us. There is a bigger expectation here. There is not just an expectation that we have the relationship with God. God's looking down and going, looking down, I know that's possibly poor, poor wording. But God is looking at us and saying the relationship that we have with each other is also vital. There is something that's expected of you on earth as well with other people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And I've always viewed my neighbor as being someone that I that you just meet on the street that needs help that day. And then I thought to myself, as I was sitting in church for the last three weeks and looking around, just thinking, I just love these people. And I love the fact that I have a relationship with so many of them, and I'm going to view them as my neighbor. Because the fact of the matter is, is I need that, and they're definitely going to need that, because I'm pretty amazing. But anyway, <laughs> we can encourage each other. And through that, see wonderful things happen. And the sad thing is, is if you've been in the church long enough, there is someone that you have looked at that you've gone, they are an absolute stalwart. They will be here. And it's a sad situation to have conversations with some of those people and hear that they've drifted away from the church and having a relationship with God. Life is tough. It always will be. I said I went through a tough period. I'm going to go through more tough periods. I was having a conversation with someone at work and we were talking about how each of us was. And it was said that it was kind of like, well, I'm ill. My mental health is terrible. There are some things that are happening to my family and we're waiting for them. And I'm really struggling because it's, it's upsetting. And, you know, I'm struggling with work, etc., etc. And then he turned around and said, and how are you? Because it's, we're always going to be going through that. And we turn to the Lord but he also says, love each other, love and encourage each other. And we read about that throughout the New Testament. <sighs> and actually, 
maybe the title of my sermon needs to be tweaked again. And instead of doing life together, the importance of fellowship, or doing life together, the expectation of fellowship, I think actually it's doing life together, the necessity of fellowship. Because whether or not you've been a Christian for a day, or whether or not you've been a Christian for decades, actually it's doing it together It's loving each other, it's encouraging each other, it's being vulnerable and open and honest with regards to your struggles. It's celebrating the things that we happen every single week when we speak to each other at small group, where we see prayers answered, where we see things happening, whether or not that's that's just in our um, day-to-day lives or whether or not that's, that's, that's just on a Sunday or whether or not that's through some of the ministries that we do. It is absolutely amazing to do that with each other. So I'm probably just going to then run through just a few things, really, just to sum up. And then I think we should have some worship. So God formed us to have relationships, to have relationships with him. It's the message throughout the Old Testament about the importance of having that relationship with God. And in the gospel, we read about how that is possible. But he also speaks about the relationship that we should have with each other. Through the very birth of the church, through, through encouraging each other. And through that, how much stronger our relationships are with him. Do you think you're so spiritual that you can go through Christian life on your own and do well? Would you want to? And then the next point is, what does fellowship look like? Well, fellowship looks like very different things for very different people, I'm sure. One thing that I think it will always have is vulnerability, honesty, compassion, being intentional is an absolutely vital part of it with with God at the center of that. For me, that might look like a beer or a curry with friends, some WhatsApp messages, Prosecco and PJs, as we've heard from the Flourish team. At the date in the diary every third Tuesday, someone knowing that I was struggling to say, do you want to come for a walk after church and just doing things together? A hug on a Sunday. Importantly, God-centered and encouraging. And then the other thing that I probably wanted to just reflect on is at the decommissioning service, I just celebrated the fact that for 25, 26 years, we've been seeing that happening in Sutton Vineyard, haven't we? It's, it's what is so amazing about being in a church. In philosophy, there's something called thesis's ship, and some people may better know it as trigger's broom from Only Fools and Horses. And effectively, it's a question along these lines, that if trigger has changed the handle and the head and the brush of his sweeper broom, every single one of them has changed. Is it still his original broom? And of course, his response is, well, there's a picture. What more do you want? But the point is, after 26 years, 25, 26 years, There isn't really going to be anything that is consistent now with Sutton Vineyard as there was on the first day. We've just, we're changing our senior pastors. There's very few people that are here that were there in the beginning and give it another 30 years. And there's probably not going to be a single thing that's consistent. My wife tells me off because I still refer to this as Vineyard Church Sutton. And we changed that name about 20 years ago. (laughs) The halls are going to change. We weren't in this direction, and the chairs didn't always look like that. So why is this still the Sutton Vineyard that it was, and why will it be in times to come? Well, it is a group of people 
in fellowship that want to know God more and want to see that come forth and the wondrous things that come as a result of that. And that will always be the case. And when we may struggle with where we fit in in that and the changes that are going to be happening with senior pastors and, and, and all sorts that will happen in the future, one thing is constant. And we are asked, and we see the blueprint in the New Testament, we are asked to do this together, to encourage one another, and through that, get closer to God and see the wondrous things that we're promised as a result of that. So if I could just invite the worship team back. I suppose one last question is, it's all well and good saying that, but how do you go about doing it? And maybe for others, it's not as easy, and I appreciate that. So there are just a few practicalities. One, stick around. It, it happens here every Sunday. It's happening on Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursday nights in small groups. It's happening in ministry groups. It's happening in WhatsApp groups. Stick around. Get involved. If you're not involved in a small group, get involved in a small group. If you're not showing up to that small group and being vulnerable and being honest, start to do that. Take a step. Join a team. We say, if you stay, you play. Well, that's more than just serving and giving. That is saying, if you stay, we're going to get involved in this together. And as I said, it was through that that we saw the church grow from about 130-odd people to the thousands and millions and billions of people that have come to faith and know Christ and know the Lord and have a relationship with him and the wondrous things that have happened. And that is promised to every single one of us, which I think is pretty amazing. Oh, man.